This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Homeschool with Moxie podcast, where our goal is to inspire and encourage you with actionable strategies to take you from overwhelmed to confident in your homeschool adventure. I'm your host, Abby Banks, and this is episode 133. This episode is brought to you by All About Learning Press. Do you want to take the struggle out of teaching reading and spelling? Then you definitely will want to give them a try. We've used their materials for all five kids in our homeschool, including our dyslexic child, and it just works. It's easy to teach. Mastery-based lessons will only take you about 20 minutes per day. Your kids will love the multi-sensory approach, and it's based on the Orton-Gillingham method. You can even download for free 20 best tips for teaching reading and spelling from All About Learning Press. Just go to 41more.com forward slash spelling. Welcome to episode 133. You can find the show notes at 41more.com forward slash 133. I'm so glad to be back with you this week. I did miss the last two weeks and I'm so sorry about that. My whole family actually got COVID and it took a little while for us all to work through it. It took a while getting through our large family, but we're coming out the other side. You might be able to hear my voice quality isn't quite what it used to be, but I'm hoping in a few weeks I'll feel a little bit back to normal. And actually, because of those two weeks, I actually had to postpone this chat we're having today with Dr. Kathy Cook. And I'm so glad we were finally able to connect because she is the author of the book, The Eight Great Smarts. And Dr. Kathy is also the founder of Celebrate Kids based in Fort Worth, Texas. She has influenced thousands of parents and teachers and children in 30 countries through her keynote messages, seminars, chapels, and other events. She's a regular speaker for CareNet, Summit Ministries, the Colson Center, and Teach Them Diligently. She's also a popular guest on Focus on the Family Radio, and she has published five books with Moody Publishers. And like I said, we're talking about her book today, The Eight Great Smarts. And then Tina Hollenbeck, who wrote um, kind of like a companion book to that, The Eight Great Smarts for Homeschoolers. So, you know, here's why you would want to listen today. If your kids have ever said, I'm not smart, I'm terrible at math, or, you know, I'm just dumb. If you've ever dealt with that kind of attitude in your homeschool, or if you as the homeschool parent have ever thought, you know, I just don't know how to get through to this kid. You know, I'm teaching them the same way I taught their sibling and how come they don't understand it? Then you're really going to want to listen in on this chat with Dr. Kathy, because today we're talking about how to customize your homeschool experience using the eight smarts. You might have heard of them as the multiple intelligences, right? Every child is smart. We just have to figure out where their smartness lies or how are they smart. And so Dr. Kathy gives us some great examples, walks us through how to 
figure that out for each of our kids. And then what will that look like in your homeschool? And I think if you really take some time to listen and also check out these books, which will give you a ton more information than we're able to cover today, it will give you some practical solutions and hopefully take that frustration out of your homeschool. And really exciting news, their publisher was able to send me um, a free copy of each of those books so that one of you that is listening today will be able to win these two books for yourself. And I'd love to mail them off to you. So head on over to the show notes to enter and you can find that at 41more.com forward slash 133. Okay, I think that's enough introduction. Here's my conversation with Dr. Kathy Cook. Dr. Kathy, I'm so glad you're here today. This is a really interesting topic for homeschoolers. We're going to be talking about how we customize our homeschool experience. And we're going to start out by just chatting about your book first, The Eight Great Smarts. And maybe you can tell us what in the world are the eight smarts and how did you develop them? I would love to. And thank you so much, Abby, for having me on your podcast. What a delight to share with your listeners, something that I'm really passionate about. So Dr. Howard Gardner is the researcher behind this information. He's a psychologist at Harvard University who was really intrigued by people behaving differently and began to look at MRIs and stroke patients and brain lesions and all kinds of things to discover, lo and behold, that our one amazing brain has actually eight different parts. And we believe, based on research, that all children are born with the capacity to develop all eight. And, uh, and it's exciting, and it really is relevant to homeschooling. Uh, so in, and let me give you the list real quick. Um, when we're being word smart, we think with words. So if you tell a child to be quiet all day, you're probably raising a word smart, chatty Kathy, if you will. We're the ones who read, write, speak, and listen quite easily. When we are being logic smart, we think with questions. So if you have a questioner at home, uh, he or she is probably a logic smart kid. And we gravitate maybe toward math and science. We love it when the world makes sense. Two plus two is always four. And so logic smart kids like that. And the only reason, Abby, that I mentioned those two first is that they're what I call school smarts. Because if we think about kind of the traditional school part of our day, we read, write, speak, and listen, ask and answer questions. And so children who have lots of brain cells in those two parts of the brain will do better in the academic pursuit than other kids. But it's so exciting to know that we're smart in six other ways. And it's vital to understand that at homeschooling because we have the privilege and the freedom to teach to the whole brain much more readily than they do across the road. Make sense so far? It does. It does. All right. Well, let me share the other six. So when we're being picture smart, we think with our eyes and we might draw on paper and in our mind. We think with pictures of fiction and history are things that come alive for us. When we're being music smart, we think with rhythms and melodies. We might sing in tune. We might play one or more instruments. So we're the ones who toe tap and bebop and hum even when no one wants us to. And then when we're being body smart, we think with movement and touch. And we might be drummers and actors, athletes and dancers. And we are told probably regularly to sit down, put that down, you know, sit still. But we think with movement and we need to let our kids do that as much as possible while they're still being respectful, of course. And then nature smart kids, when we're being nature smart, we think with patterns. So if you have a kid who knows it's a bluebird and not a blue jay, if you have a kid who remembers that that's a, an elm tree and not an oak tree, that's a nature smart kid who remembers the pattern of things. And that can actually be beneficial to spelling and many other things. And then the last two are really interesting, Abby. Uh, people smart children, when we're being people smart, we think with other people. 
So we talk to people and we discuss and we network, we collaborate and we debate even. And we're very good at reading body language. So if you have a child who can look at you and know that you're angry, you know, or if you're able to predict your kid's about to get into trouble just by what, what he looks like, that's your ability of being people smart, which obviously helps you be a, be a really effective parent. And then the self-smart part of the brain thinks deeply inside of itself and craves quiet, peace, privacy, and space. And these are the kids who are, are sometimes harder to get, get their answers from them. They're deeper thinkers. They think they're actually stupid because they're slower, but they're not stupid. They're super bright. They just want to think more deeply about even the easiest question. Those, so those are the eight. And we have the capacity for all eight, which I hope is so encouraging. And so this sounds to me like the reason why some kids in school just say, I'm not smart because they don't have those schoolish ones, the ones that school really seems to focus on. Can you like, I'm guessing this is a really big advantage for homeschoolers because we don't have to have our kids in that box where they feel like they're not smart. Talk to us about, you know, changing, you talk about changing the question from how smart am I to how am I smart? Can you talk about that? Right. No, I'd love to, Abby. In fact, I imagine there are listeners who have chosen to homeschool their kids because the system wasn't working for them. And, and I really respect that. And as a former teacher in the public school system, it's impossible when you have as many kids as, as you have to individualize and to, to make it known. So there are kids all the time who say to me, no, Dr. Kathy, I'm not smart. My brother's the smart one. And they'll say, I'm creative. Or they might say I'm talented, or they might say that I I like music, or they might say I'm good at soccer. And then I get to say, well, the reason you're good at those things is because of how you're smart. And at the beginning of my assemblies, if I do a a Christian school chapel or a youth group presentation in a church, and I'll talk about all eight, I'll have kids look at me and go, no, I, I don't have any of those. I'm not smart. And then at the end, 30 minutes later, when I simply say to them, now raise your hand only for your top four because, you know, your parents who are watching are going to be curious about what you think of yourself. And I've had kids say, no, but I have all eight. And I like, I know, but I just want to know what you think your top four are. So we go from 30 minutes of thinking, you know, I'm not smart to all of a sudden knowing that I am. So in the homeschool community, we can celebrate their uniquenesses and we can teach according to how they're smart. And we can review with the different smart. If we introduce something with word smart on a Monday and they don't get it, we can have them draw on a Tuesday, which is the use of picture smart. And then they get it because we have the freedom. We don't have a time clock. You know, we're not... We're not as concerned with those kinds of things. And so what's interesting, one more thing, Abby, is that the word smart, I call it a power word. When children know they're smart, they're willing to study and learn. If kids don't think they're smart, they don't think studying will help. I used to think, well, if you don't think you're smart, you'll study more. Like, no, if I don't think I'm smart, studying won't help. And so not arrogantly, I'm smarter than you are. No, that would be sin and pride and inappropriate. But to ask your kids, how do you think you're smart? Well, mommy, I'm really good at like drawing out people. Like when I have a conversation and somebody's kind of quiet, mommy, but I get them to talk. So maybe I'm people smart. Like that can change your child's perspective about not just themselves, but about God who created them that way. I've seen this in our home. We have a dyslexic, and so he isn't word smart and school's hard for him, but he has these other superpowers that the other kids don't have. And it is, I think, that being in touch with how he is smart, and I think that has helped in our homeschool. So, I mean, have you seen that with like kids with dyslexia and other learning challenges, figure out what they're smart at, and that just really motivates them? 
Definitely. And in fact, there are a lot of dyslexic, dyslexic children who are actually very word smart when it comes to the spoken word because they've had to get good at that. So yeah. we could also say, no, you have this ability. There is this difference that makes it more challenging, but you still have it. They can actually be very good at wordsmithing, very good at retaining the conversation because they've had to rely on listening because mm -hmm. their eyes don't work as well, if you will. And you can, like, for instance, if somebody is nature smart, they think with patterns, you can bring that to bear on this dyslexic kid. I know of a, about a 12-year-old dyslexic who discovered that she's very nature smart. She'd rather be outside than inside. And she loves to collect acorns and seashells and, and rocks and leaves. And lo and behold, that patterning ability in her nature smart part of the brain can help her with Bs and Ds and sixes and nines and was and saw and all of those kinds of things. Very, very empowering. I love that you were talking about the superpowers that dyslexic kids have. I believe they're very visual and very picture smart and very imaginative and very creative. And we need to help them know that so that they don't think that they're stupid. Mm -hmm. Something else I appreciated reading in your book was actually, you know, the nature versus nurture debate. And you kept saying the quality of your nurture matters. And I feel like that is a really important thing for homeschool parents to hear, because we might think like, if we're not smart in a, in a certain area, how are we going to help our kids? But like, you keep talking about nurture. Talk, talk a little bit about how that relates to the eight smarts. Yeah, I love that question because it is a combination of God's design of a child, but we parent and we teach and we develop and awaken. The earlier the intelligences are awakened, the greater the likelihood there'll be a strength for a lifetime. So that's up to us. My dad was an engineer. And so my brother and I were raised with protractors and compasses and T-squares and graph paper. And so the logic smart, picture smart part of my brain was awakened early in that way. So graphs and maps and charts are my friend. Actual pictures are not necessarily. And so, you know, the toys that we play with, the games that we, we play, the books we choose to read, the um, field trips that we take, the, the museums, the parks, even going to a store and turning it into a discovery zone because you're teaching about compound words or adjectives and you want them to look for them on the signage. All those kinds of things awaken and strengthen uh, the intelligences. So I believe that God creates us and then we help that creation process, right? We were part of that creative intent that God designed because he chose you to be that child's mom. Like you're on your worst day, you're your child's best teacher. And if that weren't true, God wouldn't have chosen for you to be that child's mom. And so even if you're not terribly logic smart, or you're not terribly music smart, and you have a kid who is, it's okay. You can learn right alongside and your brain is going to grow as your child nurtures you, which is a really fun thing to think about because the brain never stops being affected by culture. You had another great example in your book about how like none of none of their experiences are wasted. You talked about a balloon. You know what I'm talking about? Your illustration with the balloon. Yes. Can you can yes. you explain how that fits in? Yeah. Oh man, you thanks for reading my book and taking it so seriously, <laughs> Abby. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, if you if you get a, a balloon out of the balloon bag, you know, it's just a, a floppy little I think they all look the same. But if I blow one of those balloons up, even if I, if I don't tie it shut, just blow it up and then let the air come out and put it back among the other balloons, you will know which of those balloons 
had been blown up because it is changed by the effect. And that's true of the brain. It will never go back to its original shape or size. I know of elderly people, for instance, who are now taking piano lessons in the nursing home because that's what they did as a child. And it brings them back to a point of joy and peace, which is a beautiful thing to do. How many of us know older people who are taking ballroom dancing lessons? And they're doing that partly because as children, as young adults, that was part of their joy and their spare time. And now they're going back to that. I used to play the viola. I haven't played it in a long time, but if there was a viola here, I could play it more readily than anybody who has never played it because your body remembers those things. It's a powerful thing to remember and to help our kids understand that, you know, they're changed by what they read, what they see, what they do. And that's one of the reasons we've got to protect our kids, which is another reason that I'm an advocate of homeschooling, because it's less likely that they're going to be exposed to, you know, dangerous ideas. And I love that too, because then as parents, it doesn't feel like we're wasting time trying something that maybe isn't going to be their strength. Like you're saying, it's going to stretch them in a positive way, right? It's going to, even if it's not their smart, right? Like it's like even the kid who takes music lessons and it's just not their thing. That's still benefited their brain. Absolutely. And, you know, we won't know if it's their thing until we give them an attempt, right? So I think one of the blessings of parenting is to decide, like, especially let's say that you enjoy music. If you were a musical kid as a, as a child and you want that family dynamic, right? Like my whole family is musical. So my brother, my sister-in-law, myself, all three of their kids, they didn't necessarily marry people who are music smart, but as a family, we are into music. We go to concerts together. We care deeply about um, musicians. We, we pay attention. Worship is an important part of our walk with Christ. And so Deb and Dave, being music smart, wanted their kids to be music smart. So had them begin to take piano lessons, obviously. If you have a three, four, five-year-old who always plays with the glockenspiel in the church nursery, hello, piano lessons ought to be in his or her future. And you give them a year, you know, same thing like soccer. Let's let's all try soccer for a year. You don't have to sign up for something and think, well, what am I going to do 10 years later? No, if they don't like it or it doesn't fit your family values or dynamic, then you quit. But what if you found out by enrolling a seven-year-old in soccer that it was her joy? It was her strength. She enjoyed the people, the activity, and she's actually quite skilled at it. You don't know unless you try. And that's one of the things, again, that homeschooling, usually gives us more time to experiment and try those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. So you've already kind of mentioned how we identify our child's multiple intelligence strengths, you know, trying different things. Are there any other tips for homeschool parents? How do we even figure out what smarts our kids have? And is it something where you see it really at a young age or is it going to take a little while, like through the elementary years to really crystallize? Yeah, great question. Um, Both and I would say some of it shows up very, very young. I was nicknamed Chatty Cathy when I was only two and a half years old. And I was, I was a talker um, and, you know, I was a reader. I loved the thesaurus when I was seven, eight, nine years old, which a lot of kids don't even know that book exists. You know, I won the library reading awards every summer during the junior high, middle school years. And so it showed up early. It was facilitated by my parents. They didn't tell me to be quiet. They actually saw it as a strength to develop. And so it can show up young. Um, some others will will grow. You'll you'll have an encounter with a teacher that will establish a brainwave, if you will. There might be a topic. You might you probably have seen this in your homeschooling, Abby, where there'll be a topic, and all of a sudden, a son or a daughter goes nuts about animals because it was the alligator and the crocodile, or they all of a sudden are fascinated by you know math because there was this lesson that amazed them, or whatever. You know they were they were told you know how many different ways can you put numbers together to make eleven. 
And they thought, well, that's a stupid question. And an hour and a half later, they were still working on it because you can go forever and come up with ways to make numbers add up to 11. And so there are things, encounters with ideas, encounters with people that will cause a part of the brain to um, awaken further. And we need to watch for those encounters. You know, what do they talk about when they talk? What do they ask about when they ask questions? What do they do well? Certainly, what what's their first love? You know, is it reading? Is it math? Is it science? Is it a foreign language? And then I'm going to give you this one, Abby, and it's actually one of the most effective ways to figure out how kids are smart. What drives you nuts about them and what gets them into trouble? So if they talk too much, word smart, move too much, body smart, ask too many questions, logic smart, draw all the time, picture smart, too much of a good thing is not a good thing. So you can often look at behavior. And I don't, I don't excuse misbehavior. I just don't want you to paralyze their brain by t- like if I would have been raised, you know, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, shut up. Would you go find something to do? I wouldn't be talking to you today and I wouldn't be an author and a speaker. My parents chose to see it as a strength to develop, not a problem to eliminate. And I was, but I was required to be good with my tongue. I, I learned to listen and I was taught to be respectful or I'd be a very good gossip, tease, name caller. And I could impress all of you with all that I know, but I don't because that's not, that's not right. But maybe you can relate to that in, mm-hmm. in your own life. Yeah. So everything can be used for positive or negative, which is, makes total sense. Now, we your book was The Eight Great Smarts, and then Tina Hollenbeck kind of applied it to homeschooling, right? In her book, right. Eight Great Smarts for Homeschoolers. So kind of walk us through some examples of like, okay, if I figure out how my child is smart, how does that look in a practical homeschool situation in social studies or math or whatever? Could you just give us some examples of how to use our knowledge of the smarts and our knowledge of our kids smarts? Like how do we apply that in our daily homeschooling? Right. Yeah. Thank you. You know, right. My book is kind of a good, strong introduction in my book, we talk about how you can learn with all eight, how you can find careers, um, how you can find friends. Um, there's a whole section on character and obedience. And then Tina Hollenbeck took the principles that she's learned from me and wrote the book for all of you homeschool. So there's chapters on language, arts, math, science, religion, uh, fine arts. And so if you teach something on a Monday and your kids don't get it and you want to reteach, you know, reteaching is not slower and louder. Mm-hmm. Reteaching is different. Or if you even want to teach it the first day and find greater joy and success, her book is full of hundreds of ideas of how to do that. Just a simple example. Let's say that you have a child who's nature smart and, and she's learning some mathematical principles. And we would typically maybe have little kids count with buttons or pennies or whatever. And your kid's like, I don't want to count buttons, but guess what? Send her outside, have her collect acorns, have her collect leaves, have her find green things, have them have her bring those into the house. So you make a little pile of leaves and maybe there's a little bit of dirt that comes with them. And, you know, you guys can handle that. And she will more enjoy and retain information counting leaves, acorns, rocks, and seashells than buttons because that, so that's an idea of, of taking nature smart and coming alongside with um, the logic smart, you know, how do we all spell Mississippi? everybody knows that you spell it, you know, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I or M-I cricket letter, cricket letter, I-P-P-I. But the rhythm and the melody is something you'll remember your whole life. So that's an example of music coming alongside of logic. Why do we do that only with Mississippi, right? So that's word and logic to an extent and music all together. So there's a variety, you know, you could have kids pace the room and take a step for each letter 
And so they they might be forgetting the silent E, but they take a step for it. And now they're taking a little spelling quiz with you to make sure that your teaching is coming through. And they remember, no, there's an E because I remember I took five steps when we were learning that word. So it's the idea of, of taking the intelligences and combining them for greater success. One more example, if we have time. Yes. Say you have an older child and you're doing some history, social studies and history, and maybe you, you want your child to learn how to write a research paper and have the experience of a rough draft, and maybe they're going to give a speech about it to grandma and grandpa and all kinds of things. Well, if I know that my child is logic smart, I might allow him to choose a politician from the state or from the time area that we're studying. If my kid is more nature smart, I allow him to choose an explorer, somebody who came in and explored the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Texas, and and learned about the stars and the sun and the animal tracks. So those are examples of taking what they like and applying it to content. You can also take the smarts and apply it to the way that you actually teach. This is really helpful. And I know both of the books together just have so many ideas for homeschool moms. So we're going to link to them in the show notes and encourage everyone to get them. And actually, your publisher sent me some extra books that we we're going to give away also. So oh, I'm everyone, happy about that. Yes, I am too. I'm so happy to be able to offer them to a listener. So everyone can go to the show notes and enter that giveaway. That's That'll be awesome for someone to get in the mail soon. So as we wrap up, I know the books are going to give so much more information we were only able to skim the surface today. But uh, Dr. Kathy, what final encouragement do you have for homeschool moms who are trying to craft that really unique learning experience for their smart kids? Oh, man, love that question. Well, the first thing I want to say is have grace for yourself. And if it doesn't go great the first time, try again. You know, if you've been kind of teaching with a school-based curriculum If you're new at this and you're trying to figure it out, man, we honor that. So proud of you for taking the step. Um, It's a learning experience. You can ask your kids, you know, did you like it that way? Why or why not? Um, If you're stressed, have a mental health day. Um, I think, and I would also say, Abby, the way that we're smart is also important to consider. So if there's a mom or dad listening who's super logic smart and they might be teaching in a very logic smart question, answer, cause, effect, comparison, contrast way, because that's how their brain works. Maybe that's why they're not connecting with the oldest or the youngest. And what we're saying today is it has to be about them. You know, our strengths are going to be influential, but it can't be about what we prefer. We really need to walk toward them and enter into their zone and into their space and help them be successful. So I hope that that makes sense. Um, I would say one more thing, and that is, you know, a lot of people change curriculum at the drop of a hat. And you know, if you're, especially if you're new at this and you've chosen some curriculum based on what your friends have told you, based on what you might have seen at a conference, like that's great. It's complex. I bet, Abby, you would agree that sometimes it's three, four years in to this journey before we're more confident about curriculum. And I know on your website, you've done an excellent job of explaining why you chose what you chose. And I, I hope your listeners have gone there as a starting point. I want to say that you can teach to the smarts with any curriculum you have. You, you don't need to necessarily toss something out and go spend more money. Sometimes it's simply the way you use it, right? I think that that's maybe something I'll land with. 
I love that. That's super encouraging because we have the tools. We just need to learn a little bit more about our kids and ourselves, and uh, just apply it, right? So Dr. Kathy, this has been very helpful. I know it's going to help homeschool moms. It's going to encourage them that, um, you know, even if they're having a rough patch in their homeschooling, there are tools and resources like the eight great smarts that will help us kind of get through that. So thank you for sharing uh, your, your wisdom with us and for encouraging us today. You're very welcome. It's been good to be here. There were so many great tips mentioned today. I hope you were able to listen in and gather a bunch of new ideas and strategies that you can put into practice in your homeschool even this week. Don't forget to head over to the show notes and enter the giveaway for both of the books we mentioned today. You can find the giveaway and the show notes by going to 41more.com forward slash 133. I'm so glad to be back with you and we'll be back again next week. In the meantime, happy homeschooling.